Hi guys, I'm Rachel and I'm Jess and this is Mothering On My Own podcast. Each episode will dive into stories of resilience, triumph and personal growth shared by women who are mothering on their own. This podcast serves as a reminder that you are not truly alone and there's a community of women who are navigating the highs and lows of this extraordinary journey. Join us as we unpack the many ways of mothering on my own. Welcome to our next episode of Mothering on My Own and this one, we say it's special every time, but this one is very special because we've got my brother, Kane, joining us, so welcome. Thank you, thanks for having me. (laughs) So if you have followed me personally on my Instagram or TikTok, you'll know that when I became a single mum when I was six months old, when I was six (laughs) months old. (laughs) Controversial. <laughs> when Seb, when Seb was six months old, gosh, um, that's how fried my brain is. But when Seb was six months old, Kane was pretty much the first person that I called when everything happened, and he was living in Alice Springs at the time, working up there. So when I called him, he pretty much flew down. I think for a day or so the next day, and then he was with us for that week, and then he went home and. You know, I was just in survival mode and then Kane essentially said, do you want me to move back to Adelaide and we can find a rental together and we will just live together? And that was just a no-brainer for me. Like I would just absolutely needed you through that. I mean, I've needed you for <laughs> the past two and a half years, but it was just something that I think if any mum is going through that separation right now, to just be able to have someone that's so close to you to kind of go through the start of navigating that journey with you, it just meant absolutely everything to me. So came, moved down pretty quickly, like six weeks after, I think, and then we found a rental and we have been living together ever since. And I just honestly, I say this all the time, but I just owe my freedom. I owe my, I guess, the way that, I'm able to be where I am now because of him and it's, yeah, I'm just always grateful for it. Probably don't say it enough, (laughs) but I'm just, yeah, I'm so, so grateful for it. So we thought that it would be really nice to obviously chat to Kane, but Rach, you know, we talk about this all the time. So Kane and I were both raised by our mum who was a single mum and just getting that insight from Kane and the way that I guess it's gone full circle, you know, raised by a single mum and now you're helping me. Poor thing. So that's kind of where we are. So, yeah, I know, Rach, you, when we were talking about questions, you were just, you had so many and it's hard because I'm so close to Kane, but you had so many to ask. Yeah. Well, I mean, obviously you know everything about Kane, but maybe for our audience, just give us a little bit about you, who you are, what you do. Yeah, I feel like there's so many layers to that question. So I think for me to sum it up is someone that is wanting to learn and grow and become the best version of themselves based on what they've experienced, lived experience, what they've witnessed. And it's been a a massive journey that's taken me through multiple different careers. I'm talking through cosmetic chemistry, working blind fly out in the mines, a sales career that took me over to, to the USA and then all the way back to Central Australia where I started looking after kids in care and getting into the NDIS space just before I made the move back to Adelaide. And 
helped me, I guess, along the way, learn some skills. We now run a group that focuses on mental health through sharing breathwork, meditation, connection with people. And at the nine to five, I'm a real estate agent. So I feel like I'm multifaceted in so many different ways. And at the core of that, someone that's still trying to figure out, you know, who they are, how to share gifts with the world and, and be there for people around me. So yeah, there's a lot going on, just like all of us have. Yeah. I'd love to know what are the first memories that you have of your mum as a single mum? Like are there any sort of standout feelings that you have, like you remember feeling around your mum sort of being on her own or are there any like core memories that you have that you, if you reflect on that? Yeah, I think mum was, she was really quite strong. She was such a fighter and I remember you know, when when my parents broke up, it was such a relief at the time. And I knew that mum was hurting for quite a long time. And it was a really challenging first year. I don't remember the, the nuts and bolts of the, the move and packing and everything. But I just remember being in that first house that we had that we moved into, my sister, uh, mum and I. And I just remember that first year being quite confusing. You know, we had our own space, but dad was still coming around when mum was kind of having a hard time and it was, you know, moving through the separation. They've been together 20 years and so for her I think it was a very confusing time as well and, yeah, I could definitely sense there was a lot of pain there but through everything just realising how resilient and strong she was and that kind of paved the way for the rest of our lives with mum as a single mum and I just continue to take away like just how strong she was able to be through the challenge. Do you think that's more of a reflection that you have now with understanding as opposed to when you were sort of a little boy? Were you able to understand that what she was she was strong and resilient or do you think maybe it presented differently when you were young? Yeah, absolutely a different perspective now that we're older and I know it's a conversation that Jess and I have all the time and we talk about our parents and, and people. It's definitely been once I've been able to raise my awareness a little bit and learn more about myself that I'm able to see now that mum was so strong and resilient and at the time it was just, you know, you've got all these feelings and as a, as a child you don't necessarily know how to name those feelings. You might feel uncomfortable but it was a, it was just a very big relief when, when that marriage ended. I was only speaking on behalf of myself, but I'm sure Jess would probably feel the same. But it was just, a, yeah, a bit of a confusing time. Um, I think I was 13 at the time, so just into high school and yeah, definitely more of a reflection recently. And at the time, just a little bit confusing, grateful, feeling bad for feeling grateful that they were separated. So one thing I, love to maybe reference at the beginning because some of the things we might talk about obviously is your personal experience and everyone's would be different Mm. but I think sometimes when we talk about things like this I know even just remember when we shared that thing about me talking about dating as a single mom and how boys raised by single moms said they wish they did and we had a few comments being like, oh, one more thing to feel guilty for. And one, I think if anything I've learned through this process is just, I actually heard a stat once. I think it was like Jordan Peterson or someone said, statistically, boys raised by single mums are worse off. I can't remember what the stat was. And all the single mums on there were fuming that he dared to write that. Whereas when I heard that, 
I was like, okay, I can appreciate that maybe statistically that makes sense. So like, how could I understand this better? And I feel like you have a lot of maybe knowledge in this background, but maybe just even through this conversation, if we could highlight using it as like just an awareness, it's not making you wrong for being a single mom or it's not anything to take heavily. It could be like, what could you take from this conversation to hear from a boy raised by a single mom to go, how can I be aware of these things in the future that we can navigate conversations differently or I think as well, like no matter the situation that you're raised in, you know, whether it's a single parent or Mm -hmm. if it's two parents that are together and not present or, you know, everyone's going to have their different layers, but, you know, it's the end of the day, it's like what you've got and what you make from it. So it could be, you know, any situation, but, and we'll go into the conversation, but everything that Kane is today and the way that he's gone through his healing journey and his, you know, everything is because of the way that we grew up and Kane will chat about, you know, the influence of my dad and just a bit of like, I guess, a background around our parents. So dad was 16 years older than mum. So he was had a very old school mentality compared to mum. So growing up, that was always hard for us because mum was very much, you know, more leaning and, and just that very like cuddly and um, nurturing, you know, the, you know, I guess more the, the way that mums are. And dad was quite hard he on me he was I feel bad because he was very nurturing to me but the way that our dad was raised he wasn't shown love and affection so he didn't show love and affection to Kane so that definitely shaped the way that I guess you know then the way that you lent on mum or Kane and whatnot Mm. so just a bit of background around that so I mean you sort of said initially you felt relief there are many single mums that I think stay in pretty unhappy relationships because they think and they assume that a whole nuclear family is the best thing. You mentioned that you felt relief. Can you chat us through what it was like when your parents were together and maybe, you know, if they were fighting or however you experienced them together and then what it was like after, what you remember after? Yeah, absolutely. And I know you girls have touched on that in many of your episodes where you talk about you almost you grieve the family unit and the family face of having, you know, the mum, the dad, the kids. And if this is any consolation, I can only speak from my own lived experience, but I felt that there were many years that passed that they should have they should have broken up because I feel like for the last three, four, five years of the relationship, all there was was chaos. I remember being awake at night, but long after I should have been asleep hearing mum and dad like arguing and I would take it upon myself to come out of my room to like yell at them to be quiet so they didn't wake Jess up because mm-hmm. I didn't want her to be exposed to that. And that's all I can remember of the last pieces of their relationship was this fighting and this arguing. And I remember the day they called us into the living room and it was the conversation about the family, the family dynamic breaking up. And I just remember being so relieved. And mm. I remember I I remember feeling like that mum was now going to be able to get out of this and we were going to be able to get out of this and we weren't going to be exposed to it anymore. And, you know, for the record, it was only verbal. You know, there wasn't any, any physical uh, you know, confrontation or anything like that. But I just knew, like, in my soul that it wasn't right. And even from a young age, I knew that I wanted to be a different dad to what my dad was. And I didn't realize at the time that it's like, you know, interrupting that ancestral line and being the one that decides it stops with me. But I just knew that I was going to be different, even as a kid. 
So mm-hmm. that was that was a really interesting conversation, and it came with a sense of guilt to also be like, I feel good about the family dynamic breaking up, and it's like you don't know how to feel around that, right? But it was definitely for the best, and I, truth be told, wish it happened much sooner. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I remember that moment too. It was so clear, and I we were just like relief and ma and and you know up until even the conversations we'd had before mum passed was like she just she would say I just stayed for you kids and it's hard to say like we don't know what it would have been like if mum left earlier we don't know yeah. you know if she financially could have done it because all of the financial load was on her dad didn't help financially really at all um so we don't know you know I'm sure she she made the right decision for her yeah. and for us and in terms of growing up and the way that mum ever spoke about the situation, even though we were aware, you know, like Kane said, I think we were, yeah, 11 and 13, mum never really said much about the way that dad treated her. It's just every year as we got, got older, we understood the situation a lot more and, you know, realised things that, like, when we left, dad didn't let mum take the washer and dryer. So then when we had a few nights with dad, like, mum would have to go to the laundry mat and wash all of that mm. clothes. Like, I don't think I, I knew that until I was yeah. maybe 16. And so in terms of we, you figure it out for yourself, like you really do. So I think, you know, we've had a lot of, a lot of these conversations, Rach, about parents really unloading all of the stuff that was going on to your child. And our mum never did that to us. And they really do just figure it out for yourself. And I know it's sometimes really hard not to, but I'm really glad that she didn't because it just made us look up to her and admire her for everything that she went through so much more. Yeah, absolutely. So I can imagine your, like, pretty pivotal years as a, what, if were you 13? Yeah. And, you know, schools are pretty influential. You're around boys that maybe have really cool dads that come to footy and are really involved. How do you think your experience is different without having a super present dad around? Did you really notice that at school? Yeah, I don't think it was school necessarily, but that was a space where you were seeing, you know, other kids with their dads at sport, you know, dropping them off to school, all those sorts of things. And I think that it stemmed, and a big part of my healing journey was all to do with my dad and that masculine line. And it really started from when we were kids and it kind of carried through all the way up until when he passed away. And like Jess mentioned earlier, like dad was quite nurturing towards Jess and I felt like there was that big disconnection between he and I. And it wasn't until he passed away and I was a man that I realised and understood how much trauma affects you. And dad had such a challenging childhood and had so much childhood trauma, so much so that, you know, he was pretty much like shunned from the house, like his parents, like he didn't ever tell him he loved him. There was physical altercations. His dad had PTSD from World War Two, and it was only once I started learning about trauma I was putting all the pieces together. And so, as a kid, I never felt like I was good enough to have dad's love, and so that stemmed into massive self-esteem issues and the need for external validation from men from relationships from women all of these things and it wasn't until I was I think dad passed away when I was 28 and I started learning about trauma to work with the kids that I was working with and as I'm learning about that I'm starting to realize oh I have some of this stuff dad has some of this stuff (laughs) elements trauma or whatever you want to put it under and then like the penny dropped and I was like fuck 
excuse my language, I'm like, Dad, it wasn't that Dad didn't love me. It's that he didn't even love himself. And I'm a believer that you can only connect with others to the depth that you've connected with yourself. And if he's skimming along the surface, no wonder he felt disconnected from everybody in his life, mum, friends, family, us kids. And it appears that I just took it much more personally. And I have no doubt that that's exactly what I needed to go through to get me to where I am now. And so that started from a very young age. And so although dad was there physically, he was emotionally distant. Like we were, my sister and I and mum were like inside watching TV. Like when when mum and dad were together, dad would be out in the shed like working on cars. Like he had to just always be keeping himself busy, always had to be occupied. He needed that external stimulation because what he had going on inside, he never had the opportunity or the strength to sit in face because I feel like it was it was too much for him and he he ended up passing away, never having the family. And I feel for him now so much, knowing what I've known. I'm like, I wish we could have sit, sat down and had a conversation. But even though I'm in a space where I could have sat down and talked to him, I don't think he ever went in his life. The fact that he was there but emotionally distant so even when he would come to football and things like this it's like he you know that the relationship wasn't there like the foundation of love wasn't there he was just there and it was just it just was because I kept myself so distant from him emotionally because what he was really good at or very unaware in doing was he would hurt you so badly with his words and be very unaware that he was doing it so I just kept a lot of distance from him and then after I turned 18 I ended up going overseas and then that began my travel journey, and I was away for about seven years. And after that, in, during that last year was when he passed away. So then mm. I was open to actually moving back to Adelaide. So I think mm. that's when the healing journey started with my relationship with Dad was when he passed, because I knew if I was trying to open that up when he was still here, it just would have been met with, with more pain. Mm. So obviously, you know, there's so many parts to that but say there are women that are listening to this that have you know children that don't have dads around at all or maybe like your dad they're around but they're barely there do you think there are things you know you say self-esteem you say looking for validation outside in relationships do you think there are things that single mums could do or be really conscious of in their communication to little boys especially, because I do think little boys without a dad, I'm sure there are different layers to little girls without dads. But do you have anything that you think, fuck, I wish maybe if I heard these things growing up or maybe if she assured me that it wasn't to do with me, like is there anything that you think you could do differently as a single mum to alleviate some of that stuff? Like I know when I spoke to other guys, they just said, you know, have male figures around them as much as you can, whether it's coaches, whether it's mentors. Is there other suggestions that you think, fuck, I wish I had that? Absolutely. And hats off to you both for asking these types of questions. And for, like you said earlier, Rach, you can look at it as being, you know, the victim or something like uh, Jordan Peterson and saying that's not okay. Or you can look at it. What can I learn through this, and how can I? And it's not a, about us; it's about the next generation, right? But so get your ego out of the way, and it's about how can you support. So I love that you're asking these questions, and I can definitely only talk from my own lived experience. And mm-hmm. one thing that helped me so much 
throughout my my childhood and even into young adulthood was like mum was my safe space and as an adult I kind of now feel like I think I was that for her too because mm. when I remember like dad used to work late on Thursday nights to work in a shopping centre and so whenever mum would put yes to bed she'd come into my room she'd say you can stay up late and tickle my back and now I realise I was actually like you know getting the, the short end of the stick I was like that's a good tip mum's <laughs> giving that let, if you want to get a back rub, you can tell your kids that they can stay up late if they tickle you back. <laughs> so, and we just used to talk and hang out. And whenever we would hear Dad's car come in the driveway, Mum used to run, like literally, like run out of the room, and I would pretend to be asleep um, mm-hmm. because it was like that. It was just yeah, so much turmoil. And then I think just her being there, knowing that I had that unconditional love. You know, when we talk about attachment styles, I feel like with mum, she was that secure attachment. I felt so safe in that relationship that it gave me permission to be able to venture out and try new things and go travel because I had that safe home base to come back to, that unconditional love. And I know mum absolutely did the best she could with the skills she had. One one thing that would have absolutely been helpful is... And I feel like she did this a bit was, you know, acknowledging that it, it's not us as kids. It's not our fault. It's it's just a, a victim of circumstance sort of thing. Whereas as kids, we can get in our mind that relationships end because of us or if we get yelled at that people don't love us. And so it's just that constant re-coaching of you are enough just the way you are. You are loved. Yeah, I think mum did phenomenally well with how she managed those relationships and those especially outbursts with you know dad and I as kids in way of supporting young men I think I would absolutely echo and again take my hat off to you for actually seeking out men to ask the question about how can I best support uh you know in this time my son so definitely getting around good role models I remember and it blew me away I remember the first ever men's circle I went to I think I was 20, 28, 29 at the time, and I was the youngest there by about 40 years. I think everyone was in their late 60s and were going around the fire sharing, and all of the men that I would have looked up to as like a father or a grandfather figure were all talking about their relationship with their fathers and how it's affected their lives. And I just remember sitting there thinking, I'm so glad I'm addressing this now and not when I'm that age because they're reflecting on a whole life of disconnection with their kids, their grandkids, or because of the relationship with their with their dad that they didn't address. Either they weren't there or they had challenging relationships. And I remember putting a post up about it, and I think it was the first time I was vocal about something like this or shared a story. The top takeaways from that was just like get good male role models around your families and around your, your children, your, your sons. And for me, that would have been phenomenal because looking backwards, I realized that I was actually looking for leadership in my bosses, in my coaches, in these things, and they weren't the healthiest men. But I looked yeah. up to them and thought, that's what I was supposed to do. Or you look at people in movies or on TV shows. So if you can have someone that is a solid male role model or multiple through coaches or through getting them into... I don't know, scouts or I don't even know whatever's around these days, 
But if you yeah. can find someone that is that strong, positive role model as a male, highly, highly recommend. So this is obviously a general comment because it's not for everybody. <clears throat> but when I was also looking into this stuff, and I have literally noticed it within Lenny as a bloody four-year-old, is a natural maybe tendency for little boys to become like, I think you even said it, like you were her safe space and almost like looking after her. You maybe mm. recognise that she's struggling and as a little boy, maybe you know this, maybe it's bio- biology, you're wired to step up and be a man. And um, I had did sort of listen that that then comes into relationships and needing to be the saviour and the look after it. Is that something that you experienced or...? Yeah, really interesting that you mentioned that because I was reflecting on this, I think, in the last year or two, and I felt that going into some of my first romantic relationships, I felt like I had to be that. Maybe it's like that coming from a place of ego or coming from a place of needing to be valued because I felt so unvalued in myself. And I think in at the that time, it was just wanting mum to be okay and without realising it, kind of co-regulating. And I think those times where I would like tickle her back or give her massages, I was like, okay, just trying to help her like tune out from the rest of the world, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting now reflecting back on that. And I think as humans, we're so good at being intuitive with others, with our feelings. Sometimes we just don't know how to name them or sometimes we don't honor the intuition or the feelings that we're getting. But as kids, we just flow with it. And I think that is what was happening with mum as well. Mm. Do you feel like thinking back, because I think about this too, because mum was pretty open with all of her emotions and the way she was feeling. And I think now as an adult, I can reflect on that. And I feel like that's what well, we know we are, the way we are because of mum. Mm-hmm. Like, was there any point that you thought like, oh, I wish she wasn't so emotional with us or so open about the way she was feeling? No, not really. I actually feel, I do feel like she was quite open with her emotions, but I feel like there was a a lot that she had kept to herself. Mm. And there's a quote, I can't, I'm going to paraphrase here, but there's a quote that says something like illness or like the physical manifestation of illness is like petrified sorrow or whatever that quote is. And I feel like mum went through so much emotionally that she kept bottled up. And she kept herself. There were many times when I would try and open up to mum because through my healing journey where I would try and talk to her about dad and I would almost put like a positive spin on what I'd learned from that outcome and how it's helped me grow. And she would actually, I would notice she would get quite triggered in that because there was quite a lot of anger held towards dad. Mm-hmm. And, and she even would mention things like, you know, there are things that you still don't know. And I mm. she was falling into that, you know, and it's like the analogy of like anger is like the stone that you hold that only affects you and not other people. And I feel like big part of, of her transition this year was like holding on to so much grief, so much anger internally that she didn't move that energy and it turned into the physical manifestation of cancer. And I feel like there was, I, I wanted her to express more, but yeah. I feel like you know, she, again, did the best she could with what she had and in the space that she had. And she was, yeah, she did really well. And she's so strong. I don't know how she held on to her. Mm. And we'll just preface that, that this is just our opinion on <laughs> manifestation of energy, because I know that there can be some people that come at you for talking about this type of energy manifesting into actual medical conditions. But yeah. 
this is something that Kane and I talk about a lot. Like mum carried a lot for a long time and then she, she got cancer when we were little, when um I was three, I think, or four, and Kane was a bit older, she got breast cancer mm-hmm. and then she got lung cancer and that's what she passed away from this year. And, yeah, we had obviously had lots, lots of conversations around the energy and everything that was still stored in her. But I also think, you know, our generation or having these conversations so much more openly and we're talking about them, we're processing, but I feel that a lot of people listening now that are kind of in our age bracket, if their parents were single parents, they just didn't ever talk about it. They were just angry for a long, long time and they didn't process it and they probably are still angry at their exes and I feel like I am grateful that we are in an age where we are talking about it and we are trying to process things and there are podcasts like this to talk about it. Yeah. Even it's something that I've been really conscious of, and I spoke to a girlfriend that's a kinesiologist, even when I, not even with the father of my child, but when I went through a breakup and Lenny would talk about this guy all the time and she'd be like, you have to let him talk about him. So, like, don't stop him and sort of say, oh, well, he's not in your life anymore, leave it. She's like, you have to allow him the ability to talk about it, ask him questions, let him, because she said, I'm going to butcher this too, but giving him the ability to be able to storytell and and process it. Um, And so I wonder that probably is like a valuable bit of information because I would say there'd be lots of women that are pretty angry, are pretty resentful and even more so, especially if the dads are in the kids' lives and they come home and say they had the best weekend with daddy and you just want to be like, shut up, I don't want to hear about your beautiful weekend with this guy that's done fucking nothing for me. But I'm assuming by the sounds of it, giving kids the ability to be able to share openly um, would be pretty powerful. Absolutely. And I think it's it's so interesting now watching Seb grow up because we look at how easy it is to condition children. I remember my sister and I were in a situation where we were with a couple of other like adults, um, like adults or us, like the next generation up. <laughs> and then, like having a dialogue to Seb and as soon as like the words left their mouth about what they couldn't could do, I was just like, Wow, that's how quickly conditioning can happen and mm-hmm. I was just like, No, Seb, it's actually okay to do that. When we consider now letting kids express, it's like we absolutely should let them express or if we're telling them to stop, we're getting that conditioning of you can't speak your truth. You know, kids should be seen and not heard, which is ridiculous and I'm a big believer in prevention is always better than cure. Prevention and, and helping them speak their truth and, and be their authentic selves, regardless if that triggers you. If that triggers you, that's that's on you and an opportunity for you to reflect. Like, that, that's a beautiful opportunity. You shouldn't, you know, in my opinion, you shouldn't let your kids or tell your kids not to share anything because it makes you feel bad. You're actually yeah. then projecting onto them. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, let's get into it. I cry I could still cry even thinking about how you I guess made the choice to show up for Jess and I think it's so fucking special and obviously you have a really close relationship I know that but I'm assuming there was maybe a bit more to it in terms of maybe your experience you know of course I'm sure it was wanting to support your sister and be there for her but was it more than that when you were like okay fuck like maybe even talk me through when you found out and were you in your head like okay like this is what I've got to do, this is what I know for Sam. Can you talk me through that process a little bit? Yeah, and I don't think it was just in one moment. That moment was the opportunity to step up after years of work. So dad, when Dad passed away, that was the beginning of my journey. 
I would say, of healing my childhood, all the things I've been through and really diving deep into myself. So that's when I started learning about breathwork, meditation, you know, diving into journaling, cold exposure, taking a few trips to Peru to work with some shamans all with the intention to go within and heal. Yeah. And if I didn't do that, I wouldn't have been in a place and ready to step up for Jess and Jess. So it was also at a time where I was living up in Alice Springs and I was working with young people in care and I was actually learning about trauma so I could better be of service to them. And along the way, I learned about myself and I learned about the importance of having good, solid role models and a, a solid family base. And I more importantly learned about the impact of what not having that does. And mm. when I found out, I think it was a Saturday morning, and I woke up and I had, I think it was like five or six missed calls from Jess, and I knew something was up and called her back right away, and she was just in tears. Um, and then when she was able to get the words out, finally shared what was going on. Um, and I love Alice Springs. They have one flight out a day. So missed that, that one that day. Uh, and so I flew out the next day and we just came home and I remember just spending that week together. And it was not much spoken. You know, I know Jess was processing a lot, just being there, you know, just being around Seb and holding her and, just spending time and I just remember I think we went down to the park like down by the beach with one of Jess's friends and we were just sitting in the park and I was just looking at Seb this like little six month old like rolling around in grass and it just yeah it just words can't describe that feeling of your life changing forever so to speak and I knew that I was going to be back to, to help I just didn't know what what scope yet and I think once the dust settled and I asked if I wanted to come back uh, and Jess said yes, then it was just like, this is just what's going to happen. This is just what how it's going to be. And I knew that I wanted to be there for Seb. I saw firsthand what working with young people did and the importance of having role models. And then, yeah, there was, there was no doubt I was going to come back and be there for these guys. Yeah. I don't even remember that. I remember going to the park. I don't really remember when we were there with a friend, though. Which friend was it? I think it was Soph, maybe. Yeah, I remember being at lots of parks during that time, like just having coffee and just sitting at the park and just trying to get outside and just mm. cried a lot. Um, but yeah, that was and we and we had found out only two months prior that Mum had cancer. Yeah, right. So it was just a heavy time. It yeah, was, it was almost like I don't know. I kind of look at it now and think that everything was like lining up for you Kane and your everything was like you know you can imagine like in a movie it'd be like it's your moment to come back and I don't know to to help all of us really so just quickly why do you think you wouldn't have been ready if you hadn't done all that work would it have been that you didn't you wouldn't have understood the importance of Seb having that or you just don't think you would have been capable to show up in that capacity both both for sure because if I was so prior to this learning uh, of prior to learning about myself more, I was very ego driven. I was very short sighted. I was coming from a place of lack and from a place of external validation. And so for so much of my life, I was chasing a career, the fast dollar. I would prioritize myself over others. That's what took me to, to the States. What took me, you know, it, it definitely, you know, ego is a healthy thing if you, it has serving a purpose. 
but left unchecked, it can run wild. And so I was living from that place of external validation, living from that place of lack, needing a certain amount of financial success, all of those things. Mm -hmm. And if I was still in that place, like if I was in America and I was a sales manager of this like good company and all of my worth was associated with it, if Jess had called me then and said this was happening, I would have probably been in a space where I've gone, oh, okay, that sucks. Like, mm-hmm. I'm doing it. Like, it's yeah. about me. Whereas yeah. this, and I wouldn't have comprehended the, the importance of having that there because I hadn't healed my own relationship with my dad yet to realize how important that is and yeah. sat in the men's circles that I've sat in to hear these conversations. So there's no coincidence that I had gone through all of that for this to happen at this mm-hmm. time. Mm. And there's a there's a fantastic person that's all about mindset and all about psychology, Peter Crone, and he says that mm. it couldn't have happened any other way because it didn't. And yeah. he also says that you can't get enough of something that almost works, and I feel like that was all of the external validation things that I would almost had enough of, but it was only once I went within that I realized how important all of this was and that lining up. And then obviously this year, Jess and I living together and mum passing, there's no coincidence that we were here together to be able to work yeah. through this together. And yeah. I think even hearing you talk like this and you even said it looking at those men that were 40 or whatever and what, I don't know if you're aware, but what you are gifting, Seb, is obviously being that role model, but being able to have these conversations with him and processing with him while he's young and allowing these conversations to have when he's 10 as opposed to 28. Um, and it's just such, such a gift. And I just think imagine if all little boys had that experience and were able to talk like this and were able to process like this, like it just would be a different, like a different world, honestly. Yeah, I know. I feel very lucky to, I mean, lucky doesn't even come into words because mm. I couldn't even imagine if you weren't here because we talk about this Rach like and you're you're do, you're doing it on your own living alone like I don't even know how I could have been able to afford like a rental on my own and the first probably year of me being separated Seb saw his dad but it wasn't consistent and it wasn't any type of routine where I could have done anything and you know you've done it all on your own Rach but that's hard to find find yourself again. So I feel like I had you gifted me the ability of being able to find who I was again and being able to have goals and and to grow again. And oh, it's something that I will never be able to thank you for. <laughs> I actually saw this video and he was talking about like kind of what a man's role is in a partnership when you have a baby. And essentially he was saying it's to legit support the mum to be able to then give everything to the child. Um, and I know we sort of joke, Jess, you're like, he's like your partner, but not your partner because he's your brother. But essentially, like what you are gifting for her is, yeah, the ability to be that stability and that support and that security so that she can give everything to Seb and, you know, put things out there in the world like this, which is going to help other people. And it's just like far out. It's so amazing. Yeah. And that's, if anyone is in Adelaide, that's what, you know, every Saturday morning, there's lots of different other things that Kane offers with his business partner, but they've got a um, breathwork and meditation group every Saturday morning down at Henley Beach. We'll put details if yeah. if there's any dads or anyone that's listening that could have anyone that would maybe 
want to yeah. kind of start exploring this space. And it's yeah. for, begin- for beginners. <laughs> and if you are solo parenting, kids come free so you can bring them along. <laughs> you might regret that later when all you hear is like squawking in the first. Yeah. This last week, just gone, we had one of the kids that came along his first time there, and he was just like following me and um, Steph around as we were like do the meditation, the breath work. And she said that she sat up after the meditation. He was like standing up the front with us. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I so. brought Lenny once, and I sat. I sat outside the circle because I was like, I do get really anxious that he's going to fuck up everyone's experience. So I sat a little bit outside and I got to a moment where I actually did lay down. He was playing and I was like, I had a moment where I was like, this is the best. Like I can do this all the time. Why haven't I been doing this? And literally a second after I stopped talking, he ditched a whole thing of sand like in my face and I was just like, oh my God. <laughs> I stormed off. I was like, this is fucked. Like, <laughs> need to start like a kid's hair attached to it or something yeah a kid's meditation i think there's something beautiful about that as well because it's all you know kids are just such sponges and if we can expose them to breathwork meditation cold exposure mindfulness journaling that just becomes the norm like imagine if that was your conditioning from a kid like how good would that be and we get to see some you know some beautiful people come along they bring their kids and it's just yeah very very special is that why men's work, you're so connected to it? Like is it from your experience that you feel a lot more connected to working with men specifically? Yeah, absolutely. And it was really Jess's experience was a big catalyst for that happening. And it got to the point where I'd learned so many things that had helped me on my journey, such as breath work, meditation, cold exposure, getting around with people. Um, Jess went through what she went through and I and at around the same time there were I saw many other scenarios of men hurting themselves and inadvertently hurting others and my fear of being seen was outweighed by the need to share what had helped me and around the same time I'd met my uh, my business partner Steph and we decided that we wanted to get into men's groups and we actually started just holding like a men's circle once a month where people mm-hmm. could sit around the fire have a conversation without the need of alcohol to help you know fuel the conversation and it just naturally grew and we ended up then starting to run like a weekly flow for men and women and then through that women came along and said oh can you run some more in-depth things for us so now we offer men's retreats women's retreats mixed retreats and then the saturday flow and it's just become a space where we are being of service to those that are ready to be served and to receive whether they're men, women, or otherwise. I'd love to know, what do you see in Jess that reminds you of your mum? I think absolutely her resilience, the fact that she thinks she's hilarious, but not really. (laughs) (laughs) Kane is funnier than me. (laughs) I think the resilience, you know, the the genuine love for others and the fact that she would do anything for her kids. Yeah. Get us with a kicker, right? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Something so special about what you're both doing and what I noticed through my journey is as I would like stand up the front of the group and talk about my dad, I realized that I was actually helping heal that that energy and helping heal that relationship and that line to the point now where it actually brings me joy sharing what I have to share. And through this, you guys are also using that energy of your both of your lived experience and you're transmuting that into something beautiful and creating this space for other solo parents to be able to come here and have a laugh, have a cry, learn some things. 
and I think it's just so so fantastic what you're both doing. I feel like, I mean, it's similar to you, right? And I, I don't know whose quote it is. It's like turning your pain to, is it pleasure? No, that would be weird, wouldn't it? Pain to purpose. Um, but sometimes when you're in the thick of stuff, you kind of like, there fucking has to be a reason for this. Like this can't be as heavy as it is for nothing. Like there has to be some meaning or some purpose to this. So it's amazing that we've both um, got there. I, look, I could talk to you for hours and I feel like there's so many follow-on questions that I could have for you. I guess, you know, is there anything else that you have to say? But also I would love to hear what are your hopes for Jess and Seb? Like when you look to their future and as a big brother, you know, what do you sort of dream for them? And, yeah, what do you hope to them? For Jess and Seb, I'll address them both differently because they're both our own little humans. <laughs> and for Jess, like, I just know that she is going to transmute this into something beautiful, share beautiful messages with other solo parents. But just wanting and calling in so much love, so much abundance, freedom, joy, you know, life will naturally have its ups and downs and the downs make you appreciate the ups. And having good friends and good community around make the downs so much more bearable. And yeah, just wishing pure love, abundance, health, wealth, all of the things. And for Deb to grow up knowing that he is so loved, that he is enough, that he is perfect just the way he is, that his dad loves him, that his mum loves him, that everybody else does and that he can absolutely achieve anything he wants in his life, and we're conditioning him to know that. <laughs> and that, yeah, it's it's a beautiful place. It will have its challenges, but we'll be here together to, to move through those. Isn't it just funny when you put it like that, like that he's loved, that he's enough? Like and that really, like we're here and we're trying to do all these things and create, create all these things for our kids and like, that's it. That's all you need. And I've I said this when I did mum's speech for her funeral. That's what I said. I was like, mum, Kane and I went through our whole lives being told that we were enough to the point that I was like, she, mum would call me and be like, I'm so proud of you. I'm like, I haven't done anything. She's like, I'm just proud of you. You're a good person and I'm just proud of you. And I'm like, oh, thanks, mum. And I used to joke about it. But it wasn't until I had lots of conversations with friends and started kind of trying to work out why we kind of all are the way we are that it really stemmed down to like feeling all that pressure from their parents and feeling like they weren't enough and not that it was said in those words from their parents but the the attitude and the way that they went about things essentially made them feel like they weren't enough and what they're doing wasn't enough and I just remember when I sat down at the end of mum's life and wrote what meant to me the most about her it was that she always told me that I was enough and that's, you know, even if there were moments that I didn't feel that way, I knew that. And that's what kind of, I guess, gave me the confidence and that, like you said, Kane, that safe space to almost want to just tackle anything. Absolutely. So, and I think to yeah. kind of circle back to what we mentioned earlier about if you are solo parenting and uh, you're a solo mum, how important and beautiful it is to have those male role models around your, your son. But doing exactly what Jess just mentioned, if you can just show your son your children that they are enough and they are loved you're already giving them the most phenomenal platform and foundation to build a life from so whatever you're doing right now with the skills you have is enough 
but know that there are more things that we could do like everyone in life. There's always more we could do. And if you have that opportunity, amazing. But if you're still just providing that space of love and that they're enough, you're doing amazing. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for joining us. (laughs) I'll see you in a minute. Thank you for listening to this episode of Mothering on My Own. If you'd like to connect with us further, please follow our Instagram at motheringonmyown.podcast.